So we are in week two of Moral of the Story, and as I mentioned in the beginning, we are talking about most likely a famous story found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15. And we're actually going to spend two weeks on this story because Chris and I thought it would be fun to split it um, for I am the youngest child in my family, so I thought I'm going to talk about the younger son and the prodigal son, while Chris is going to talk about the oldest as he is the oldest. Now, if you are a middle child, there's not a story for, about you, so <laughs> sorry. But you're used to it. Um, so, sorry. I've got a middle son. He does not love it. Um, let's go ahead and jump into our scripture today, the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I know many of you are familiar with this story, but if it's not, we're still glad that you're here. We're glad that you're hearing this story for the first time. Now, being the youngest, I read this and think, he did nothing wrong. It was definitely the oldest brother's fault somehow. I'm sure the oldest brother made the younger one do it somehow, right? The moral of the story is the youngest children 
never do anything wrong. I don't think I can get away with that. <laughs> when you read this, you think probably, what a bratty younger sibling. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he asked his dad for his inheritance. And then you think, what an unloving older brother who has no worry or concern about his brother. Did you notice how the way the older brother even talks about him, your son? He's like, not my brother, your son. And then the father, I mean, you sh don't you think you should have grounded him or something? See, there's a lot of hot sports opinions found in these 21 verses. But today we're going to focus on the younger brother through his perspective, his feelings, through his eyes. So this younger brother is not content. He is restless working in the fields and has such deep wonder for what is beyond the fields of his home. He dreams about what it would like to go out and see and do whatever he wanted. No more waking up early to tend to the fields or the flocks. Who could he meet? What places could he see? What cuisine could he eat? And he wonders, and he wonders, and so he becomes obsessive about it. He can't stop thinking about it. He wonders who he could become out there. Maybe he can make a name for himself. Perhaps even riches await him. The possibilities are endless. And so finally one day, his curiosity, his discontent, all of that, he can't take it any longer and he does the unthinkable and he asks for his inheritance early. It's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my money now. So he says, give me something now, Father. Give me my money so I can go be someone else. Let me go and be the person I am dreaming about. And then his father gives it to him. Now let me ask you, what kinds of things does a parent say to a child before he or she goes off on their own? I'm a parent and I've sent my oldest off to the big elementary school last year to kindergarten and y'all, I ugly cried on that first day. I'm talking about when your snot makes bubbles coming out of your nose. <laughs> I was so thankful I was walking by myself with the stroller in my neighborhood. I'm like, I'm so glad no one is here to witness this disaster. But those of you that have sent your children off to college, what did you say? For those of you that watched your newly 16-year-old child drive off for the first time on their own, what did you say? What about when your child went to their first dance or had their first date? What did you say? Or for those of you that have watched your children get married, what did you say? I'm sure as parents we have lots of things we have said to our children before we send them out on their own. And so I'm sure this father did as well. So he says something, and then he sends his youngest son out, and he just waits. We don't know what our children will do, and letting them choose for themselves is very hard, but it's part of being a parent, is it not? And so we read that the younger son squandered his wealth, wasted his wealth in wild living, wasted his wealth in extravagant living, undisciplined, dissipated. He wasted everything he had. No matter what translation of the Bible you read, you know he ain't done good. 
no budgeting, he wasted money on things he did not need, was irresponsible, did some things not so great. He did not take into account things that he would actually need for survival because when the famine hits, he is hungry. So the listeners of this day, and maybe as you read it, you think, man, kids these days, no saving, no plans, no responsibility, no respect for their elders. And so this is a part of the story where as listeners, we really start to turn on this son and think, man, he deserves to be hungry. He did this to himself. And yes, he did a lot. But I want to look at him and think, man, he is so desperate. He's so broken. He's so hungry. He is so lost. And so he probably looks at himself and thinks, man, what have I become? What have I done? So I want to stick a pin in that for a moment. If you happen to be familiar where this story falls in the Gospel of Luke, you will know that two stories right before it are also about being lost, a lost sheep and a lost coin. And in those two stories, Jesus explicitly mentions repentance. He says that there is more rejoicing of one sinner repenting than 99 who are righteous and need no forgiveness. And then that there's joy in the presence of the angels of God when one repents. But Jesus does something kind of clever in the prodigal son. The younger son definitely has a moment where he knows he messes up, but repentance isn't really said. It's never said in the text. Instead, it says, he came to himself. And for me, when I read that, I feel like it's like he remembers, even just for a moment, who he is. That maybe the younger son remembers that he has a family, a home, and a father that loves him. Is he nervous to return? Yes. Embarrassed? I'd imagine so. Is he scared? Absolutely. But I think somehow, I think somehow he perhaps knows that maybe there's part of me that's still lovable, that maybe I'm still worthy. And I love the way he, he replays the narrative in his head. Okay, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. He, he's not asking like he's owed something. He doesn't have expectations for things. He, I mean, he asked to be hired back by his father. But I think underneath that, there's just this little thing that says, maybe I'm still beloved. That maybe this shame and the mistakes I've made don't have the final word. And so Jesus does something so masterfully by telling this story. He's talking to Pharisees and others that have a very much holier-than-thou concept. And Jesus lays out the one that you think doesn't deserve to be loved or to be forgiven or to be welcomed home is exactly who you need to love and to forgive and to welcome back. Of course they're deserving. Of course we love them. Of course we forgive them. Of course we open our doors. See, as I picture the scene of the father seeing his son, it's so moving. Do you think that that father had slept well one night since his son had been gone? He was probably worried sick. Imagine the prayers that he must have prayed. Please be safe. Please keep him safe. Please let him be okay. Let him have food and shelter. 
And then maybe please lead him home. So the day the son is approaching his home, how nervous his son must have felt. Maybe he was pacing before he took that final turn. He was dealing with shame. He was dealing with just feeling like, gosh, I don't know if I deserve this. He probably thought, I don't know if I can be loved. I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I can be forgiven. But then his father sees him. And I imagine in my head that his father drops everything in his hands. And his father does something unthinkable. His father runs. He hikes up his robe and shows his bare legs. I wore pants. You're welcome. (laughs) But you have to understand at this time, you did not show your legs. And you certainly did not run, which I'm like, I should have lived during that time. I hate running. It's frowned upon. No one had the sticker on the back of their donkey that said 26.2 miles on it, right? But he hikes up his robe and he runs to greet his son. And he's crying and he kisses him and he embraces him. He's so overcome with emotion and thankfulness. There's no hesitation by the dad. There's no questions asked. He just embraces him. Can you imagine the tears between this father and son? Now, keep in mind what this son had been doing. He'd been around pigs, which made him unclean. And on top of that, he's just dirty and gross and smelly, most likely. And the father does not give it a second thought. Jesus is saying something. When we think someone is too dirty or smelly or done too much, and so we need to keep our distance and we have lost the whole thing. We shouldn't say things like, well, look who decided to come back. Or you sure have some gumption to come around here. No, we embrace a person with a homecoming like no other. It is a call for a great celebration. So I wanna go back for a moment to that younger son, that moment before his father embraces him. He had experienced a time where he had never felt lower or more shame. And yet he is bold enough, he is brave enough to go back home. Do you have any idea how hard that must have been? That's how people feel about coming into church. A lot of people feel that way about church. They feel like they've done wrong. They feel like who they are is wrong. That their decisions or life choices have made them unlovable or irredeemable. And as the church, we're to be like the Father and say, I'm so glad you're here. This is where you belong. I want to close with this. In our pews, in our hallways, every Sunday, and even during the week, we have someone's son or daughter in our midst who wonders if they can be here. And the really sad truth is that some of them have been rejected by their own parents. And so our role is even more important to tell these children, no matter how old these children are, that they are deeply loved and that they have sacred worth and that they can always, always call church home.
And so church, when we see that lost son or daughter in the distance or up close, will we turn back to the field and continue to work and be mad? Or will we hike up our robes and run out and greet them and say, I'm so glad you're here. You are so loved. Amen.